Well, we finished up last week talking about whether um, whether God wanted a king in Israel. We had some other questions that we we're going to answer as well, but let's let's just look at that first. Whether God wanted a king in Israel, and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter seventeen. Because now we're going back. Moses is going to be speaking to us in Deuteronomy. So way before this time, hundreds of years before the the place where we are now in Samuel, we've got um, Deuteronomy 17 where Moses is going to be speaking. Starting in verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, and I'm reading in the ESV, English Standard Version. Moses is speaking. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. He shall not acquire wives, many wives for himself. Very important. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. This is the part I find most fascinating, that probably many of us have never, never heard of this. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And this is the result, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or the left, that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Wow. So the king, in order to rule, is supposed to write a copy of the law his own, with his own hand, and he's supposed to read it every day. Probably good for us as well. Probably something that if we are going to rule, if we're going to have an impact, if the people around us are going to be impacted by our lives, probably a good idea to read it, to write it, to know it. But that's why you're here. So we are learning about the stories, about the laws that God wanted them to know. But let's make a note. God said it's okay if you have a king, but this is the kind of king I want you to have. Well, we just finished reading in 1 Samuel that God 
did not seem pleased. Samuel certainly wasn't pleased. And God said, the people have not rejected you. They have rejected me by asking for a king. So here we have one of these quandaries. We've got a situation where God said, it's okay to have a king. And then we've got a situation where God says he's upset that people are, are asking for a king. These questions are good for us to review. I think God loves to answer our questions. Why was, what was the difference? Was, did he change his mind? Was he, did something happen? Or was it the reason they were asking for a king? There are a number of reasons people could ask for a king. If you were in this society, What would be some reasons you might ask for a king? Orderliness. Orderliness, yeah, orderliness. Leadership, okay. Everyone else had them, what they said. How, how about, we read a, a bit about the, these people around them that kept attacking them. They, they were called raiders. They would just come into your little village and guess what they would do? Take whatever they saw, kill whoever they wanted, and that was acceptable in this season. So you would be probably hoping a king could protect you. And what we're going to find out is as soon as Saul is appointed king, he is going to have to deal with some of this, some of these raiders. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to flip this. I'm going to go back to our map here. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish a son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorah, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Appearance. When we start talking about appearance, what does God think is more important? Someone's outward appearance or their heart? Right. And we're gonna we're gonna so when someone goes a little bit overboard about appearance, like wow, this guy was like a you know male model. He was an actor. He was someone everyone would would just fawn over. What happens to people? Let's talk about what we know about high fashion models. Are they secure or insecure? Funny how that works. They're sort of insecure. You would think now this is a person who has everything. They get paid, what, $10,000 a day to have people take pictures of them. Everyone wants to be with them. They're on the cover of the magazine. 
what do you suppose happens when someone pays so much attention to you externally? Is there any motivation to develop internally? Things like compassion. Our fashion models are known for patience, compassion, kindness, and some of them perhaps are, but typically not. Typically they are sort of narcissistic, self-centered, things that, that's a caricature. We want to be careful, enabling wherever we label people that this is the way all of them are. But certainly people who are gifted tend to rely on their gift. They tend not to have to develop the other parts of their character that would be more godlike. So let's keep going here. Um, now the day for, we're in First Samuel chapter nine verse fifteen. Now the day before Saul came, see Saul. This is going to be interesting. We haven't so far heard much about God's involvement in the lives of his people. We've been going in the judges. We've been looking at the priests. A lot of people are just selfish. But now we're going to start seeing God orchestrating some things. God is going to choose Saul to be king. He's going to set it up so that Saul's father has lost some donkeys. And Saul is out trying to find his donkeys. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So we're right here. He's going to wander all the way up into Ephraim looking for these donkeys. So he's going to go quite a ways north there in the hill country. So he's going from town to town trying to find his father's donkeys. Now, the, it happens that Saul has a servant with him. And I hope that you will read this story in 1 Samuel 9, if you haven't already. And the servant says, hey, why don't we go ask the seer, the prophet? The prophet lives close by. Let's go ask him. What's interesting that Saul never had that idea. It was coming from his servant. Why, why was Saul, what was happening in his family, perhaps, that he wasn't so tuned in to say, look, if you're just a few minutes from a prophet of God, wouldn't you think, well, the prophet's coming up. Let's, that's where we want to be. That's where we want to go because we, we've been three days and we can't find our donkeys. The servant comes up with it. Now, the day before Saul came, I'm in verse 15 of chapter 9, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the land of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain or rule over my people. So Samuel is really hearing from God. God speaks to someone in very specific terms. 
I want to ask a question. Should we be able to hear the voice of God like Samuel heard the voice of God? Yeah. Yeah. Some say yes. Some say some people should. This is a question I want us to be thinking about. When we read the scriptures, it's, 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 it's worth thinking about. I see the Bible sort of as a menu. It's all available. It may be avail more available to some than to others. But if this is something that you would like, it's probably worth asking for. If you have, especially if you have a situation in your life that is not, you, you don't know the answer to it. What we're reading here that God is telling Samuel is not something that was in the Bible. He was giving him specific words about a specific situation, and he's going to give Saul some even more specific words through Samuel. Is that available to us? I want us to be thinking about that. So Samuel tells Saul, the Lord has you in mind to be the king. Saul answers, 1 Samuel 9, 21, am I not a Benjamite, the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Was the tribe of Benjamin the least of the tribes? Why does Saul say that? It's a small tribe. We have to actually go back to the last chapter of Judges. I'm not sure if anyone read that. The last chapter of Judges gives us the situation of what happened to the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin had 26,700 men who came out to fight against the people of Israel. Something very awful happened in Judges chapter 19. It was very similar to the situation that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Except the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah was prevented. The situation in Judges chapter 19 was not prevented. Uh, it is probably the grisliest description of uh, that is in the Bible. It's a, it's a horrible thing that happened to a woman. When this happens, the, the husband of the woman, who was a Levite, it was his concubine, he cuts her into 12 pieces, sends out all of the pieces into all the tribes of Israel to say, this is what's happening in Benjamin. I was just traveling through here, and this is what happened to my concubine. I want everyone to come out and hold Benjamin responsible. All the 12 tribes, I want us to get rid of this evil in Benjamin. The leaders of the tribes say, okay, let's see what we can do. Let's negotiate. They go to Benjamin and say, just hand, bring out the men. Let's punish the men who were responsible for this. The tribe of Benjamin says, we're not giving them up. We're not afraid of you. Men of Israel go against 26,700 men of Benjamin. The, the first time they come, the people of Benjamin win. They go back 
pray to the Lord and say, what should we do? He says, go up again. The second time, they also lose. The Benjamites are holding their own. They ask a third time. God says, no, I want you to go and take care of this situation. Benjamin, and they do. The people of Benjamin are defeated. They have from 26,700 men. The tribe of Benjamin is left with 600 men. They are the smallest of the tribes of Israel. They are almost eradicated. And because they're almost eradicated, the people of Israel now feel sorry for them. And you'll see this pendulum swing. It's, it's, it's crazy-making when you read the book of Judges. And as we, we read 17 and 18, if you read 19, 20, and 21, you'll see it, it, it boggles your mind. So they're thinking, now they think suddenly, okay, we're going we're gonna to lose one of the tribes of Israel. We have to find wives for these men of Benjamin. So they say, which of the, is there a city somewhere that didn't join us in our battle of Benjamin? And there is a city. It's called Jabesh Gilead. That said, we don't care. We're not joining in your battle. All the tribes of Israel go to Jabesh Gilead, which is over here in living Gad, they go find this city of Jabesh Gilead. They kill everyone in the city. And they take any woman who has not slept with a man and they give them to this, these 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin. Right, welcome to craziness. Yes. You mentioned earlier uh, a wife and a concubine. Can you just go and then just describe the difference? That, that's a little confusing. Okay. Good, good question. So the question is wife and concubine. So a concubine is, sometimes the concubine is called the wife because even the word wife in Hebrew is really woman. This was Abraham's woman. But a concubine doesn't have the same status as a wife. So often they were there, they were perhaps from a poor family, someone who whatever, what, didn't have the same status socially, but it's if you want someone else to sleep with, then you have a concubine. And you see, when you start reading that this Levite had a concubine, you start, wait a minute, the priests have concubines. What, I thought this was supposed to be, God set it up, one man, one woman, for health. Why? Because marriage is actually a symbol of our relationship with God. This is, this is not something to play with. But everyone's playing. They think, well, it's a sign of wealth. So back to the tribe of Benjamin. So not only do they wipe out this city to get wives, they don't have enough wives, so they decide that they uh, are going to go up to Shiloh where the young women come out to dance at a certain festival, and they tell the other 200 men, they only found 400 wives for them, they, have, they need 600 when these women come out to dance, you hide in the field and just basically kidnap your wife. So, and, and so that's, that's essentially what happens. So now we have 600 wives for the 600 left over from the tribe of Benjamin. Kidnapping, killing, what, what is life like growing up in a home that came out of, of this disaster? Right, this is a moral disaster. The Benjamites have defended the morality of people to do horrendous things to other people. 
they've been almost wiped out. And then to get them wives, they've done some more violence, all of which is against the law of God. But the people are not consulting the law of God. They're just being logical. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. So this is where the logic is sending people. Now, the other nuance of this is if there were 26,700 in the tribe of Benjamin, and you now have only 600, how much land does each of those 600 get? A lot. So Saul's father is wealthy. He has a lot of land. So just you're kind of reading into, okay, he's wealthy, but what... Saul doesn't seem to have much self-esteem, as we will find. Which is what happens oftentimes with people who are very gifted there, especially if it's a physical beauty. They often don't have much self-esteem. They, they have to always look perfectly. So Saul probably had some of those insecurities, but we can only, we're, we're, we're guessing at that. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 9, in verse 19. So Samuel hears that, that Saul is coming to him. God tells him exactly what, that this man from the tribe of Benjamin is going to be coming. Samuel anoints Saul as king. He pours oil on his head there right when he's looking for his donkeys. And by the way, Samuel says, by the way, your donkeys have been found. Samuel knows all kinds of things. Does this story, and, and if we look also, if we go in 1 Samuel 9, when he tells Saul, when Saul is leaving, he anoints him, he says, when you go down, you're going to see some people carrying bread, they're going to give you some. You're going to see some people playing the harp and the, and the lyre. You're going to prophesy with them. He gives them all this information. Can you think of anything in the New Testament where Jesus had some similar things when he told people, I want you to go over here, and this is exactly what you're going to find. A donkey. You're going to see someone carrying a water pot. Very interesting how... This is not just isolated. And remember, Jesus is showing us what life is supposed to be like for us. We are in Christ. He is in us. This is now supposed to be our life. We are supposed to have these kinds of things that happen to us. It may not happen every day, but it's possible. That we're not just reading Superman mythology. We're reading things that are saying, the living God is in you. And these are the kinds of things that he wants to do. He wants to appear in supernatural ways. And we need to be ready for it. 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 19 through 24. But today you have rejected your God. Samuel is speaking now to the people. He has anointed Saul, but Saul's gone away. And now he's going to gather the people and do what's called a lottery system to try to figure out who the king is going to be. 
Now Samuel already knows who the king is going to be. But he's going to wait and see if by lot, by lottery, Saul is going to be chosen. Samuel's already, already had this, but, it, but as you see, he's, he's had the revelation or a vision, something he had very specifically. But now Samuel has gathered all the people. Today you've rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. See, God didn't mind them wanting righteous, godly leadership. That was never the problem with God. But what did these people want? Probably just like a lot of the people today want. Someone to protect me, someone to make me prosperous so that I can keep doing what I want to do. That's, that's essentially what these people wanted, and that is essentially what we see today. So there's this choice of righteousness, and there's a choice of, can, I, can you just get a king to protect us so that we can be safe, and I can do what I want? Very good. The visual system is the most powerful of all our neurological systems. When Jesus comes on the scene, he usually, does he say, he who sees, he doesn't talk a lot about seeing, he says, he who has, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. He's actually trying to get us to look in the spiritual realm, because if he says, I want you to see this, now they're seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, but something is not changing because they're hearing, they're not hearing and seeing with their spiritual eyes. And Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Now there are approximately, I'd say, a million people now. There are a million people. He's going to try to choose one man by Lot. There were 600,000 that came out of Egypt. When David does his census, some years later, there's 1.5 million men. So out of one, I'm, I'm estimating about a million men, he's going to see if God can choose one the same one that he's shown him. I don't want you to miss the supernatural here. We, we take it as we read the Old Testament, we kind of take this as, oh yeah, that happens back then. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we serve. He wants to do these kind of things for Saul, for you, and for me. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near, and the clan of the Mathites were taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, they could, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Listen, the Lord is actually going to tell them where he is. Very specifically, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. So they have their king. They have a man that God chose. And the man 
actually seemed to be humble of heart. She was hiding among the baggage. You can take that as humble. You could also take that as fearful. But initially, he has a good response. And this, this is a man that Samuel really had high hopes for. So I want to pause right here, and I want us to we've heard a lot about God speaking very specifically. In our culture, most of us are not used to that. That's not our experience. We don't hear a lot about people who hear from God, and when people talk about hearing from God, it may even make us nervous. I want to pause for a moment, and I want you to ask God, is there something he wants to tell you? Or even if this is something that interests you, this would be a good time to say, God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me? How would you like to speak to me? Am I, do I not have my receiver set right? Is my television always on? Is there always some noise so I'm not actually hearing with my spirit your words? I don't know whether Samuel heard an audible voice of God. Most people hear the voice of God sort of in their, like their own thoughts, but it, it's, it's a bit different from your own thoughts. It's not something you would have thought of. But let's just take a moment, and I want you to to approach God and pray about that. Is that something that you want? You can ask for it. If it's something that you're not convinced is real today, then you can talk to God about that. Uh, let's just spend a moment of silence right now and, and talk with God about hearing from him. I love to look at the scriptures. I love to look at my life and say, What's the, what is the difference here? What, what is possible? Because I don't want to see God face to face and realize there, was, there were a whole lot of things possible that I never even asked for. I never even, just because I didn't see anyone doing it, never heard anyone hearing from God, I, I, I just never thought to ask him. I don't want there to be any gifts he wants to give me that are left in heaven. I want to be able to receive all of them now.